Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. By and large, we're quite adaptable. We can do really well on a variety of diets, but we have to figure out what works for us personally. I would put the dry fast in the extremely advanced don't try this at home category and probably something not even to consider until you're well down the road with exploring uh, deep into the world of fasting and how your body responds. So someone who's in decent shape, but that's not a ton to ask right there, is it? You should be able to run four laps or a mile down the bike path with your fancy watch that tracks distance. You should be able to get through that in under 12 or 13 minutes, even if you're 50 years old. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Metamemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress. Very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Metadrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge. I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Okay, okay, time for Q&A. Listeners, what do you say? We have some great questions today. Thank you so much for writing in to podcast at bradventures.com. Let's get to them. And this will be a big challenge for me to uh, answer a bunch of them and not go off on 12-minute tangents to frame an entire show, uh, which is what I did last time we got going on Q&A. 
hopefully uh, all agree to wonderful benefit because the topics are really important. And my main goal here is to cover questions that are of broad interest rather than specific. My left knee hurts when I go upstairs. What do you think? I think you should go see a doctor. Okay, there's that one. Uh, not a big interest to the, the broad audience. So uh, amazingly, the listeners are doing a great job uh, teeing up some really important and uh, thoughtful questions that bring to light important issues for all of us to reflect. So that's my intro. And then we go to Raymond, who says, I just finished the book Two Meals a Day. I loved it. It was so much more than a nutrition book. And question, regarding the 12-hour window recommended uh, for no digestive function, does that include not drinking water for those 12 hours? Uh, well, um, no, because the water would be the uh, prime example of something that does not require uh, digestive effort. And so it's everything but water. And the term uh, to describe it, I believe, used in the book was anything, any xenobiotic substance, anything that requires uh, the digestive system to break down and metabolize. So that would include herbal tea that doesn't have calories. That would include caffeine. That would include a vitamin pill that doesn't have calories. All these things require digestive function, and they turn on the digestive system, thereby turning on your clock for purposes of uh, time-restricted feeding and time-restricted digestive function. So the research from Dr. Panda at UC San Diego uh, talking about time-restricted feeding and the health benefits and the uh, critical importance of giving your digestive system in general a break every day, uh, that's where we get this 12-hour uh, maximum time window for digestive function each day. So you do not want to uh, activate digestive function on a longer time frame than that. This was an interesting one because a lot of people were tripped up, including myself, including Sisson, uh, where we're looking at our daily pattern. And let's say you're up in the morning at 7 a.m. with a bag of herbal tea and you're drinking that thing and doing your crossword puzzle. And then at 8.30 p.m. you're having two squares of 85% dark chocolate as you enjoy evening leisure time. Oops, you just busted outside of the 12-hour window. Even though the herbal tea didn't have any calories and even though you might not have eaten anything until 12 noon as a devoted uh, fasting person in the 16-8 window. Uh, but you lit up your digestive system in the morning when you uh, first consume the, uh, the tea or swallow the pill or whatever. Uh, now, I don't want people to get too fixated on this and the fact that you're going outside of your 12-hour window for a couple squares of dark chocolate in the evening and a bag of tea in the morning in the grand scheme of things is completely uh, uh, minimal, right? Uh, but it's just something to think about, especially the idea of toning down digestive function in the evening. Uh, and so it's now being more and more established that uh, all organs in the body, including the digestive organs, are very strongly aligned to your overall circadian rhythm. We usually think of circadian rhythm in terms of uh, light and dark cycles and sleeping and waking up, but the liver, uh, the digestive tract, uh, even the... Um, uh, the heart, lungs, the muscles, there's a good time to exercise. There's an inferior time to exercise when your body's less adaptable to exercise. All these things are strongly tied to uh, circadian function. And so the digestive tract is uh, preferring to rest when it gets dark outside. So if, if by 
as well as you can try to get the majority of your calories uh, before it gets dark. Now, if you're in Stockholm or Edmonton or uh, New York City in the wintertime and it gets dark at 4.45 and you're usually sitting down with the family and trying to enjoy your life and having dinner at 6.30 or 7 p.m., um, that's, you know, that's, that's going to be okay. We'll, we'll live to see another day. Uh, but as, as, as best you can, try to uh, put those meals earlier in the evening and allow for a nice period of winding down in concert with the setting of the sun uh, in your environment year-round. So that means in the summer, yes, you can get away with late summer evenings by the swimming pool and having a picnic or a barbecue, and you're not uh, finishing eating until 8.45 p.m., whereby in the winter it's been dark already for five hours. That's going to be a little different, a little more of a health objection. So uh, aligning your sleep habits with your circadian rhythm as well as your digestive habits. Uh, so that was Raymond's question. Does that include not drinking water for 12 hours? Uh, no, it doesn't. So if you need to sip some water uh, as soon as you wake up or before you go to bed, we're not counting that on your clock. Um, as an as interesting aside, uh, they have some studies on dry fasting. It's now become a popular biohacking category where not only are you not consuming calories, you are not even uh, drinking water. So you're providing a hormetic stressor to your body. Uh, and in turn, the body responds with this kind of optimal stress response, optimal fight or flight stimulation due to the stressful nature of lacking water and calories. And you're getting these purported benefits. And some of the research has showed that uh, this spurs fat loss, this spurs uh, improved glucose tolerance, has an anti-inflammatory effect. And uh, there's a lot of data from Ramadan, the Islamic holiday, where people uh, are not uh, consuming food or drink until sunset uh, for 40 days. So that's a big deal. And the Ramadan uh, observers come out pretty well with the research. I remember the great runner El Garouj from Morocco uh, talking about how he's trying to train through Ramadan and having kind of a tough time. And if I'm, my memory serves me, I believe there was a lot of food and drink consumed as soon as that sun went over the mountains. The guy who's done, you know, 12 times 400 meters in 54 seconds with a 200 jog recovery, uh, that guy wants to go uh, rehydrate and, and refuel. So funny stuff there. But um, I would put the dry fast in the extremely advanced don't try this at home category and probably something not even to consider until you're well down the road with exploring uh, deep into the world of fasting and how your body responds and certainly uh, drinking and hydrating appropriately uh, for the duration of whatever fasting you're experimenting with. Uh, that said, the word fasting is often misused, and uh, grammatically, it means uh, not consuming any calories, right? So uh, when you hear people talk about their juice fasts, or their brown rice fast, or uh, this kind of fast, or that kind of fast, a kale smoothie fast, that's not really fasting. And so let's reserve the use of the word for times when we're not consuming calories. Okay, we all agree. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, here is the next one. 
oh, we're moving at such a pace. And this comes from Scott with a nice, long, uh, reminiscing of his days uh, back in, in triathlon times. He's a former Hawaii Ironman. Um, I have your old book, Scott says, uh, Breakthrough Training. Yes, it's now been re-released on Amazon. So if you want a really fun triathlon book, if you're into the multi-sport scene, it's called How to Improve Your Triathlon Time. Go search for it on Amazon. Yeah. Get it? It's a double entendre title. Oh, isn't that cute? Thank you. Uh, so Scott is talking about um, how he remembers uh, the valley of fatigue from overtraining in triathlon days. Now he's 55. I would try to train like all my old heroes back in the day, Pig, Molina, Tinley, uh, Mark Allen, uh, the, the incredible Germans that trained their butts off every single day. It was amazing what some of these top athletes were capable of doing. Um, and now he comes to a few questions. Do you really think keto is the way to go these days? I have the books that you and Sisson have written, um, and I'm wondering... Uh, how that lines up with uh, a bunch of other things. One of them would be um, doing endurance training and trying to be keto. Dave Scott seems to have made that jump. Uh, Scott writes. And yeah, Dave Scott talks a lot about the benefits of this ketogenic diet. So that's interesting because he was the carb king of the planet when he was winning the Hawaii Ironmans. And then he also wants to ask about reconciling with information from people like our buddy Rip Esselstyn and his Engine 2 diet. So Rip is the plant strong guy and he strongly advocates uh, the plant-based approach to eating. Uh, his father, Codwell Esselstyn, Cleveland Clinic, lauded for reversing heart disease through dietary intervention. And so these guys are firmly in the plant-based camp, and they are not interested in uh, the benefits of animal foods and, in fact, recommend excluding them. So that's a pretty huge leap across the aisle to uh, interact with people that are saying something that you know could be considered uh, diametrically opposed to, let's say, uh, the recent popularity of the carnivore diet and the animal-based diet, where you're putting plants on the sidelines uh, for an assortment of reasons, one of them being that the animal foods are the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, two, that many people have sensitivities to the natural toxins con contained in all matter of plant foods, and by excluding those, they experience an improvement in nagging autoimmune and inflammatory conditions. So, so, gee, this is where we're going to turn it over to you, the listener, to do some personal experimentation and do some of your own research and critical thinking uh, and, and open-mindedness to see uh, what seems sensible to you. And uh, a lot of the plant-based folks are in that camp due to the moral objections of the industrial food complex, putting out this nasty processed meats and uh Convent, uh, CAFO animals, concentrated animal feeding operation, animals that are uh, living in dirty conditions, uh, not friendly to the planet, uh, the carbon footprint is high, and the animal is uh, not treated well, and all those things. So I think trying to find some common ground here, when we talk about an animal-based diet, we're talking about doing your absolute best to source the most nutritious and sustainably raised animals. So rather than getting uh, the tuna, the kind of tuna that's caught in the big nets that also trap the poor dolphin, we're talking about pole caught or line caught tuna. We're talking about emphasizing the oily cold water fish that have the most omega-3 benefits and the least concerns with toxins like mercury. We're talking about staying away from the predator fish at the top of the food chain because they have high concentrations of toxins. And on down the line with our eggs, we're trying to source, uh, ideally, pasture-raised eggs with the distinction of 
humanely raised, animal welfare certified, all these stamps of approval on the carton that indicate the animal was treated in a superior manner to the feedlot chicken, the conventional egg that has vastly lower levels of important nutrients like omega-3s due to their crappy diet and their lack of activity uh, being cooped up in the um, the facility rather than being allowed to roam free and the true pasture raised egg that you're going to get from uh, the local hobbyist or farmer is running around in the open lands getting exercise getting fresh air sunlight uh, and having their natural diet of bugs insects uh, high omega-3 from uh, eating grasses and things like that and so you're having a, a far superior nutritional product to uh, the mechanized foods so i think we can all agree whatever foods you choose you're going to want to go for the best source same with the plant kingdom you want to go to the local farmer's market buy what's in season uh, straight from the farmer to you uh, what do they call it farm fork to table and so we can make good choices within uh, the, the parameters that we've set. Uh, but I will say this, not to get too controversial, but if you're choosing a plant-based diet, you are proceeding down a high-risk path. It's very difficult to dispute that because you happen to be excluding many of the most nutrient-dense foods on Earth. And so if you are excluding a giant swath of foods uh, due to your moral objections or whatever perceived uh, health benefits, um, boy, you got a... Uh, a challenge on your hands, especially if you are not genetically adapted to do things like convert the beta carotene that you get from your carrots and your other uh, yellow and orange category foods. If you're not good at converting that into the fully formed uh, vitamin A known as retinol that comes uh, directly to you when you eat things like liver and other foods high in vitamin A, um, you could put yourself at high risk of nutritional deficiencies. And we also have to acknowledge that this is a departure from the ancestral diet that fueled human evolution for two and a half million years, which was a, an animal-based diet. Of course, there was variation across the globe where uh, humans uh, populated and migrated and had different food sources. But by and large, we're quite adaptable. We can do really well on a variety of diets, but we have to figure out what works for us personally. So hopefully I answered how to reconcile uh, between the, the plant-based message of people like Ripper and then the, um, you know, the paleo or the ancestral diet that listeners maybe are more familiar with from my lineup of guests. But I did have a great show with Rip Esselstyn, so you can go listen to that and see how much common ground we have when we're talking about the number one prominent goal is to get rid of the junk food. And that's indisputable that we do not need these refined sugars, grains, and industrial seed oils in the diet. I don't think anyone is out there touting uh, that this should be the centerpiece of your diet. Well, I mean, a lot of plant-based people are end up consuming a lot of processed carbohydrates because of their uh, dearth of choices to get their calories in every day. So I should qualify that. But in general, you know, over-consuming these refined foods is where the real problem lies. And if you can ditch that stuff and move on from from a processed food diet, you're going to be looking really good. Um, this is also a way to kind of reconcile some of the fabulous uh, nutritional data and propaganda that's arguing that, oh my gosh, this plant-based diet is going to be a lifesaver for you and you're going to become uh, a, an amazing athlete and make the NFL or the Olympics like the um, documentary 
that was widely uh, viewed called Game Changers. Uh, Peter Atia called it, I just listened to his show, quote, it was absolutely horrible, disgusting example of propaganda. So if Peter Atia says that, who's a pretty measured guy, um, that's going to give me pause and I'm going to go doing further research for myself. For example, watching Chris Kretzer on the Joe Rogan podcast talk for three hours, uh, breaking down the inaccuracies and the propaganda presented in that show uh, with a beautiful three-hour presentation with 87 PowerPoint slides. So think what you want, uh, but before we jump on whatever bandwagon, let's go and uh, look a little deeper than the slick documentary that's going to uh, try to convince you in untoward manner. Okay. <laughs> uh, how's that, everybody? And um, uh, I think I covered Scott there, but uh, yeah, regarding Dave Scott switching over to keto and trying to uh, balance both endurance training goals with ketogenic diet, that can be a potential problem. Because if you're out there working hard and burning a lot of calories and then you're limiting your carbohydrate intake, you better make darn sure that everything is dialed in beautifully uh, or you have the potential to struggle. One thing that's come across uh, in the last several years of keto becoming more and more popular are the propensity for electrolyte imbalances when you eliminate a lot of those carbohydrate-containing foods in the name of restricting carbs for keto. You're also uh, limiting your intake and limiting your retention of important uh, minerals and electrolytes, especially sodium, potassium, magnesium. That's why the guys at LMNT, Rob Wolf, Luis Villasenor, make this wonderful product, these little packets where you're getting a huge dose of electrolytes and sodium uh, to help keep things right if you do make a major dietary transition. So if you're going to go keto, you sure as hell better get your electrolytes dialed. Um, you better eat sufficient amounts of the nutrient-dense calories that are going to fuel your training in the absence of whatever carbs you're removing from your diet. So like Dr. Tommy Wood said on his show, he counsels his athletes to eat as much nutritious food as possible until they gain one pound of body fat and then turn the dial down a little bit. And he made the, uh, the great one-liner talking about uh, reviewing the, um, the food diaries of his athletes. And someone will say, breakfast, two eggs and half an avocado. And Tommy's quip back was, hey man, eat a real breakfast. Make it six eggs and a full avocado. Because again, if you're in this uh, uh, restrictive and narrowly focused ketogenic diet, the six eggs and the full avocado are probably going to serve you really well if you're going to go out there and uh, put in tons of hours of training. So I guess my last note here is that there are a lot of athletes succeeding in this low-carbohydrate, fat-adapted endurance training pattern. Uh, Zach Bitter, probably uh, one of the most prominent ones. Timothy Olson, who won Western States 100 Mile twice, uh, also in that low-carb camp. The participants in the vaunted FASTER study, F-A-S-T-E-R study, run by Dr. Jeff Volick at the University of Connecticut uh, was um, amazing conclusions came out of that study uh, that showed that athletes who had become adapted to a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet could perform really well and recover really well, including restock their glycogen overnight without eating 
uh, an appreciable amount of carbohydrates. So we always associate uh, carb loading, carb reloading with absolutely essential to recover from these crazy workouts. But now if you become a fat adapted athlete, you can do amazing things. And what is the advantage? There are several. One of them is you don't need onboard calories when you're trying to exercise or trying to perform for hours on end when the digestive system is not in a good state to uh, digest and assimilate calories. If you're doing an all day hike or riding your bicycle 100 miles, um, if you can get by on fewer calories, that's going to be a performance advantage right there. And so when you get better and better and better at burning body fat and then making ketones to fuel brain function when your muscles are burning mostly fatty acids, that most of them are on storage. You don't have to ingest a lot of fat to ride 100 miles because you got plenty on your body, even if you're a skinny uh, elite ultramarathon runner. Um, so there's a lot of potential uh, for endurance breakthroughs, especially at the elite level and also at the recreational level. But this is a, um, it's a pretty challenging path to, to go on. Uh, one thing, one potential concern I see is the propensity for overtraining and overly stressful training patterns by the majority of people immersed into the endurance lifestyle. So if you're going to do too much <laughs> as a routine, you know, beat yourself up here and there and, you know, have these, uh, uh, these crashes and burns and highs and lows in training, which are so common. And you're not going to bother to uh, refuel with sufficient amount of carbs because you're trying the ketogenic diet. That's going to be a recipe for breakdown, burnout, illness, injury, disaster. Um, same with the CrossFit uh, athlete, where you're performing a very high glycolytic workout. That's a high glucose burning workout because of the intensity level and the duration. And then going home and not refueling with carbohydrates, you're going to have to get really good at a few different things. One of them is fat adaptation, making ketones. And the other one is balancing your training so that you don't show up at, up at the gym in a fatigued glycogen depleted state and bang out yet another epic CrossFit session and go home and yet again, restrict carbohydrates and add to the overall stress score and the stress factors at play here. Because if you think about it, um, carb restriction and fasting are, are stressors to the body. You're not uh, giving your cells the energy that they're used to. And then depleting cellular energy during a workout is another stressor to the body. Um, in my case, I talk about this a lot, where I'm trying to do these uh, high-intensity, high-glycolytic workouts and be in the older age group. So that's another stressor to the body that I'm uh, trying to act like a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, whatever, and still have ambitious athletic goals, even in the 55-plus age category. And if you mix those all together and you overdo it, you overshoot your stress capabilities, um, that can be you know, limiting your progress and even worse, putting you into a hole. So for that reason, uh, I am in favor of uh, monitoring your appetite carefully. And if you do have those occasions where, let's say you're trying to um, adhere to whatever dietary pattern, if it's keto, uh, if it's carnivore, if it's vegan, plant-based, and you experience intense cravings for things like high-protein foods, uh, Chris Kresser cites this uh, really important point that if you under-consume protein, which is difficult to do, but possible if you're in some extreme diet, you're going to experience intense cravings for high protein foods and you're going to feel like crap 
and you're going to get emaciated and uh, have, you know, a, a bad looking uh, face. Maybe your hair is going to fall out, weird stuff like that. So the body and the brain are really good at getting you what you need. And the same goes for carbohydrates. I think um, if you're sitting there at the end of the day, a long training session has been done and you have your little steak and two pieces of broccoli and you're really dreaming about a sweet potato, that's probably an indication that you want to uh, do a strategic inclusion of additional carbohydrates. So I guess my uh, my vote is that in and around your high-stress, challenging workouts is probably a good time to consider uh, increased carbohydrate intake. And I would say afterward, not before. I've heard people talk about, yeah, get some carbs before you train hard, and that'll give you a performance boost. And I think that's kind of... Um, uh, that's it doesn't make sense to me personally that you're going to need a pre-workout dose of carbohydrates. There's plenty sitting there in your muscles uh, unless you're starving or coming off a 48-hour fast. So I wouldn't worry about that. But afterward, I would take care of your appetite and your cravings for sure. All right. Good question by Scott. And then we go all the way down to Melbourne, Melbourne from Ewan. Uh, I enjoy your podcast very much down here. Isn't that cool? I love hearing from people all over the world and the, the letters come in from Africa and Finland and Melbourne. Just I, I can't get over it. It's so fun. Thank you so much for listening so far away. And also, if you're close to <laughs> my base here on the West Coast, that's cool, too. We're friendly with everybody. So Ewan's been listening for a long time to the Primal Podcast uh, primal Endurance, Get Over Yourself, and now the B-Rad Podcast, incorporating many principles into his life. Uh, he's doing my favorite sprint workout of six times 80-meter sprints, and he feels like he's done a good job. Uh, but then, uh, as he's cooling down, thinking that uh, the workout's over, he has this um, urge to run a mile for time and uh, see if he can do it at an impressive uh, around six-minute mile. Uh, for a 55-year-old, that's extremely impressive. Uh, anything under eight minutes, this is from the research from the Cooper Institute and Texas A&M. They did a huge study, and they drew this incredibly strong correlation between one's mile time at age 50 and one's longevity and health potential. So if you have an excellent mile time at age 50, you have a strong predictability to live till age 84 in good health and good vitality. And if you have a crappy time at age 50, you have a six-fold increase or something crazy uh, to uh, disease risk factors and demise uh, over the ensuing decades. And here are the time standards uh, that are relevant. Uh, so at 50, you go out there, and we're talking about an all-out mile for time. We're not talking about jogging a mile and uh, timing it for once, but this is like a real race where imagine the people in the lab coats with their clipboards watching you, and they want to see really what you got in there. So pushing yourself pretty hard. And look, if you're not a runner, you can probably correlate this to your activity of choice, whether it's cycling or swimming or rowing or some all-out performance test that takes you an appropriate length of time that can give you a great indication of your fitness, especially if you retest uh, annually or every five years or whatever you want to do to to see keeping tabs on your fitness, right? And so uh, the Cooper Institute research said that females under nine minutes and males under eight minutes are in that outstanding category. And if you are uh, female over 13 minutes or male over 12 minutes, and 12 or 13 minutes is equating with kind of a slow jog, 
a brisk walk would be about a 15-minute mile. So it's better than a brisk walk. So it's a little bit of jogging uh, to make it around the track four times. Or let's say if you mixed uh, jogging with fast-paced walking and back to jogging. So someone who's in decent shape, but that's not a ton to ask right there, is it? You should be able to run four laps or a mile down the bike path with your fancy watch that tracks distance. You should be able to get through that in under 12 or 13 minutes, even if you're 50 years old. Now, if you're zooming around in eight minutes, nine minutes, that's spectacular. And that shows that you've made a tremendous commitment to fitness that's going to benefit you uh, for years to come. Uh, so Ewan is busting out a six-minute mile after his sprint workout at 55 years old. Is the ex Brad, is the extra mile impacting on the benefits of my sprint training? Would it be better to do on a different day or do it once in a while? Well, uh, that's a pretty fantastic workout is my answer. And I think, you know, you're putting this into the category of a high-intensity sprint workout. So you do your sprints, you run your mile, you're 55 years old. I wouldn't complain about anything. I'd say that's pretty fantastically awesome. And I aspire to uh, go out there and put in another mile time trial myself. I haven't done it in several years. And I remember coming uh, right in at six minutes. This is a few years ago now. And the funny thing for me was it felt like uh, 4.47 did back in the old days. I mean, I was up on my feet. My stride was excellent. My power was good. I didn't die. I was strong all the way through the finish. And I'm like, yeah, that was a 4.47. I look at my watch. It says six minutes. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. Uh, but such is the way that fitness works, where your perceived exertion is still high, your perceived performance level, uh, but the, the watch doesn't lie. So I would say, uh, keep up the good work, Ewan. And finally, uh, another follow-up question from him. I've recently started taking MoFo, and you've also motivated, motivated me to eat some slices of raw liver with salt, and it actually tastes quite good. Well, isn't that nice? And yes, I like to take my liver in frozen raw form, heavily salted, because it's super palatable. You don't have that rubbery, uh, unpleasant liver taste. And so I'll either slice those up and eat them raw, or I'll throw the chunks, uh, pre-sliced chunks of raw liver into my smoothie. So I got my liver game going. That's a good solution for me because I was never too good at cooking it. And I didn't really enjoy the taste. And if you overcook it, like everyone's familiar, liver and onions meals from back in the day, uh, that's okay. But remember that you're losing out on a lot of the nutritional benefits if you cook the heck out of liver versus eating a slice of raw liver. Now, um, eating raw liver comes with a slight risk of foodborne illness, just as consuming raw egg yolks that also go in my smoothie. So I'm going to qualify this here and make a disclaimer that um, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't even recommend something like that unless you decide to do it for yourself. But I'm giving you the factual information uh, that a raw piece of liver or a raw egg yolk has vastly more nutrition uh, before it gets cooked. So uh, that said, if you're going to do something crazy like consume raw liver, be sure that you source grass-fed uh, liver product because we want to stay away from that uh, animal that was raised in the concentrated animal feeding operations, fed hormones, pesticides, and antibiotics. We know that the liver is the control tower for all uh, manner of metabolic function and distribution of nutrients into the bloodstream. So guess what? That's what makes liver uh, the number one most nutritious food pound for pound on the planet. And it also makes liver a place where toxins and impurities can be concentrated. 
Uh, a lot of people confuse this to think that liver is a nasty thing to eat and you should never touch it uh, because of all the toxins that are in the liver. And um, it's also the place where the most nutrition is concentrated. But you do want to source good quality liver that's going to be free from some of those objections that we see from the feedlot animals. And I'm also uh, writing back in detail to you in that not only do I take um, six to 12 pills of MOFO every day, but I'm probably taking 12 to 18 uh, assorted other pills from assorted other ancestral supplements products. Uh, I like the prostate, I like the lung, I like the blood vitality, and this stuff has become super popular. You can learn all about them. Just go to my shopping page uh, and click on the link. You get a 10% discount uh, for putting in BRAD10 as the code. And if you're not up on your organ meat consumption game, this is a great way to cover that base, that very, very important dietary base of getting uh, organ meats and nose-to-tail consumption uh, back into your diet. We've disgracefully ignored that in modern eating habits. Um, ancestral cuisine, on the other hand, uh, features a lot of organ meat consumption. And so it's time to reclaim that instead of just uh, focusing on uh, the muscle meats, the, the small segments of the animals that we emphasize. And so getting liver into your diet one way or the other, as we described, uh, or cooking it, searing it lightly on each side and consuming it in that form, or getting it into your smoothie, consuming it raw. And uh, if that all fails, just pound a bunch of supplements. And these really are um, the best multivitamins you could ever consume because they're in the exact bioavailable form from the animal. They're completely unprocessed. There's no additives, no other agents in there except for the uh, grass-fed cattle from New Zealand, completely pure, and the, uh, the, the organ in question that they're putting into the capsule. And so, yeah, that's a plug right there. That's a commercial in the middle of the show, uh, but I'm pretty enthusiastic about it. And I believe um, for some reason since 2019, I've had some great improvements in an assortment of health, fitness, and um, lifestyle markers, uh, specifically uh, not requiring uh, afternoon naps so desperately on so many days, uh, recovering faster from workouts, being able to perform at a higher level. Uh, you can see my morning routine, which is getting more and more difficult, and I have no problem doing that every day. I wasn't in such a groove uh, prior to, now it's been you know three or four years where I've had a, a kind of a burst in uh, performance. And I attribute that to uh, numerous things. One of them is this aggressive consumption of the organ capsules. So I'm really high on this. I feel like I'm really covering all my nutritional bases and minimizing the chances of developing nutritional deficiencies, which I do believe I've suffered from uh, in the past, despite my attention, careful attention to healthy eating. Uh, because the athlete asks a lot from their body, it's easy to get deficient, it's easy to get broken down, uh, especially as you continue to perform into the higher age groups. So all those listening uh, in the higher age groups are still have athletic goals, like the wonderful Ewan down in Melbourne, you got to pay close attention to your eating habits and do everything you can to kind of throw in uh, some of these performance supplements that have been proven to be really helpful. So for me, not even that I was asked this question, but I'm mentioning my devotion to uh, animal organ supplements, especially the MOFO formulation that I co-promote with ancestral supplements that contains testicles, prostate, heart, liver, and bone marrow specifically to improve uh, male hormone function, male hormone optimization. 
that's my that's my go-to, of course, my favorite, and then a bunch of other ones that I mentioned, uh, inc- and also uh, getting that raw liver into the diet, the egg yolks from my super nutrition smoothie, and then some other favorite products that I've been taking on a consistent basis are collagen at the behest of Mark Sisson, uh, taking 20 to 30 grams of that every day for the rest of my life because collagen breaks down as we age. Dr. Kate Shanahan places such tremendous importance on this that she contends that your collagen health, your connective tissue health, is directly correlated with your longevity. And unfortunately, we build most of those building blocks in the first 20 years of life. So if you were born uh, before 1950, she had a great insight in one of our shows. Uh, and we ate real foods back then before kind of the uh, the mechanization of food and the processed food that came after the World War. Um, if you had that stability uh, to get really collagen-rich foods and a varied diet when you were young, it will benefit you the rest of your life. If you were born after 1950 and grew up on TV dinners and space food sticks and all the crap that came into, especially the standard American diet, the emergence of fast food and all those things, um, you're fighting against that clock. And so here, as we get over 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, supplemental collagen peptides can be a huge help. Um, research shows that these molecules have a... Uh, heliotropic effect in the body. They go to the areas where they're needed most. So if you have a raggedy-taggedy Achilles tendon from frequent injuries dating back years, and it still feels tight and stiff a lot, and it gives you trouble, and you consume supplemental collagen, the collagen will go to support the connective tissue in that area of the body where it's been identified to be frayed or inflamed or imperfect. Isn't that interesting? So collagen's a big one for me, and creatine, uh, probably the most research performance supplement of them all, all of them validating that uh, not only does it have the performance benefits that you hear about of uh, helping you add muscle mass and get stronger, it also has neuroprotective benefits. So it actually uh, benefits and protects the brain from stress and inflammation. Uh, those are just a couple, and we'll be talking more about that in the future, especially if you have questions about it. But I think this is a great place to wrap up some really cool questions and get out a lot of good information about how to fight the battle and um, do it well. So thank you so much. And hey, spread the word about the show. I love uh, tapping into new listeners, welcoming new people. Uh, we're looking at the um, the download rates and uh, seeing a nice steady increase. So I appreciate your help spreading the word. And we're also seeing people going into the archives and, and listening to some of the favorite shows. And uh, those are living forever, uh, accessible at all times. And uh, a couple of recent recordings that I did with Jake Steiner about some of my favorite highlights. And then we're also publishing uh, some more highlight clips from past shows. So hopefully that'll inspire you to go back and uh, look at stuff that you missed that's still super relevant and interesting, even if it was recorded a year ago or two years ago. So that's that. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. 
And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.